Okay, verse 1. These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. And then he goes on and begins to give these that these uh, the men of Hezekiah copied, uh, the Proverbs of Solomon. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing, Lord God, to be upon the reading and the teaching of your holy word. We receive it, O God, tonight. Give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay, verse 2. It says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Okay? So the glory of God to conceal a thing. Why would God approach it that way? Why would God conceal things from us? Well, God, obviously, God and the king wants man to be doing well. That's God's will. And that's the, if you're a king, most kings, if you're a good king, you want your people to do well, right? Okay. And so that's the case for God. That's the case for the king. Now, there's a difference, though, because the Bible says God conceals a thing, but the kings search him out. The goal is the same, and that is to benefit mankind. Now, the reason why God conceals a matter is because He wants us to depend on Him. Amen? So He wants us to seek His face. So if He just tells us everything without us seeking His face, there'd be no need to seek Him, right? Okay, so He allows things to be hidden from us so that we'll go to Him in prayer and seek God and depend on the Lord. Amen? So sometimes you wonder where God is He's concealing maybe himself or concealing things from you. It's because he wants you to seek him. And when you seek him, then he'll reveal what is concealed. And then the Bible says it's the honor of kings to search out a matter. The way that a king benefits his people is through truth. So he, he reveals things. The king reveals things. He searches things out and reveals things. And that's the way the king benefits his people is through truth. Now, if you go to... Over in Timothy, the Bible tells us there to study. And so you look at yourself as a king. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of what? Truth. So we're benefited by the word of God. But we've got to search the word of God out. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you read the Bible and you never had to study? You knew exactly what it meant. Amen. You could open the book of Revelation, you knew exactly what it meant. You didn't have to spend time studying it. Well, God doesn't want it that way. God hides these things, conceals these things, so we'll seek Him and we'll study, and then the King, amen, searches the matter out, and we're benefited when we do that, when we seek the truth of God. Amen. All right, verse 3. The heaven for height, the earth for depth, and the heart of a king is unsearchable. So this applies to authority in general. So be careful when you begin to pass judgment on authority. Your boss or whatever, the president, amen. Whoever's in authority, be careful that you are not quick to pass judgment on those in authority because sometimes decisions will be made and uh, you don't see everything. You may not know everything. And so you don't understand sometimes the decisions that are made. But the person that's in authority knows all the facts, normally, hopefully, has all the facts, and can make a good decision. And you don't have that, so you have to be very careful not to uh, 
to jump in and try to judge the decisions of the authority. So verse 3, the heavens for height, the earth for depth, and the heart of the king is what? Unsearchable. There are things that are deeper than meets the eye. Sometimes we want to judge things just based on what we think or what we see or how we reason, right? But there are, there are things that are going on that are deeper than the eye. So you have to be careful in getting involved with something that you should not get involved with. All right, verse 4. And five, deal with taking away things. Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer, right? Dross, not any good. Got rid of, got to get rid of the dross so you can have pure silver. Okay, and then verse five says, take away the wicked. Interesting, isn't it? So remove the dross, take away the wicked before the king, and his throne shall be established in righteousness. Now the Bible says that we're not to pluck up the tares. Remember in Matthew 13? Talked about the wheat and the tares. It says don't pluck up the tares. Because when you pull the tares up, you're also going to pull up the good wheat. Right? Okay. So does that mean that we're supposed to leave tares in their place? If God says don't pluck up the tares because you'll pull the wheat up, are we supposed to leave the tares in place? Do we have a contradiction in the Word of God? Look at it again. Take away the wicked from before the king and his throne shall be established in what? Righteousness. There is no contradiction in the word of God. So one place God says don't pull up the tares, which is a picture of the wicked, because when you do, then you're going to pull up the wheat. But now he says take away the wicked so that righteousness will be established. So again, there's no contradiction. So what are we talking about here? Well, Jesus is talking about in Matthew 13 about pulling up the tares and pulling up the wheat at the same time. What he's saying is you have to be, you have to have discernment. And you have to have direction from God. Point being, if God tells you to pull up or to remove the wicked or take action against the wicked to get them out, to remove them, then you must do that. But you have to have discernment when you do that. Because if you don't, if you're not careful, you can affect good people when you're dealing with wicked people. You with me here? So you have to exercise a lot of discernment. You have to think things through. How is this going to affect the overall? How is it going to affect the group? How is it going to affect other people that are good people? So there's a lot involved in removing tares from the wheat. You have to have discernment. But if God says in His Word to do it, you must do it. That's just the way it is. Because if you do, then righteousness will be established. If you don't, wickedness will take over. Okay? So God threw, out, threw Lucifer out of heaven. Right? So he was a tear. He didn't leave him up there so he could defile all the courts of heaven, defile everything that was there. He threw him out. So there are times when God's Word says you got to move, remove somebody. You have to do it. And you can't, you don't question it. You just have to do it. Because if you don't, it will destroy the whole. Okay? So removing the dross and removing the wicked, as the Bible says, from before the king and his throne shall be established in righteousness. So it's very challenging. It is very difficult when you start trying to remove the wicked or trying to remove tares from amidst the wheat. It's a very difficult process. Okay? So you have to have a lot of prayer. You have to have a lot of discernment. You have to know what God is saying by His Word, you have to know when to take action and when not to take action. It is a very difficult thing to do, okay? But sometimes it has to be done. Now, verse 6, 
Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. Now, what are you talking about? Don't promote yourself. There's a lot of people that promote themselves, right? So don't run in the presence of the king, you know, promoting yourself, thinking that you're something important. You're going to be humbled if you do that. Look at it, verse 6 again. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. So you start pushing yourself. You push yourself on the leader, right? Don't do that. If you do that, be extremely sure that you've heard from God. You with me here? Do you understand? Be sure that you're supposed to do that. So there's a lot of people that, you know, they'll come in the, into the presence of authority and they want to give their an opinion about something. Now listen, if you're going to speak into the ear, ear of somebody in authority, you better be sure you've heard from God. Because what if that person that you're talking to, let's say is a pastor, okay? You go to that pastor and you speak into the ear of that pastor something, and then he acts on that. What if it doesn't turn out well? You with me here? Okay. So whenever you have the ear of somebody in authority, you better be absolutely sure, number one, that what you're telling them is accurate. And then number two, that you're hearing from God to tell them. Now that doesn't mean if something wrong is going on that you shouldn't let that be known. But you have to be careful in just rushing in and pushing yourself on authority and always giving your word or your voice or what you think about something. Amen. And it's okay if you do that. Just make sure you're hearing from God. All right? Say praise the Lord. Because the power of authority is with who? With, who? with the authority, right? Okay. But you can influence that. How many of y'all know that you can influence the authority? You can in, how many of y'all know you can influence your pastor? You can influence me. Praise the Lord. So, you know, you haven't heard from God, but you've got an opinion about somebody, something, and it doesn't have to be about somebody. It has to be something that's going on in the church. And you rush in there and you give your voice about it. Well, what if you influence that pastor and he stops, he starts doing what he's supposed to do? He shouldn't, but influence is influence. Okay? He's a human being. <laughs> The point being, he's a human being, right? So if you rush in there and you're pushing your opinions on that man or whatever in the church and he starts listening to what you're saying, it can really affect the work of God. So you be real careful. Praise the Lord. Now, sometimes, praise, if you come to me with an opinion, hopefully I've got enough of God in me to say, you know, okay, I accept that, whatever, or I don't accept that. Hopefully I've got enough of God that I, enough of the Word of God I know when to say no, right? But sometimes influence is influence. So let me step it, step it back just a little bit instead of getting into the church things. What about home? You know where the power of influence is? The power of influence is not with the husband. The power of influence is with the woman. I want you to think about that. The power of authority, God put the authority in the husband. So the authority rests in the husband. He's the head of the house, as long as he's spiritual, as long as he walk with God. You know, if you're married to an unbeliever, then you're the wife, you're the, really the spiritual leader of the house. Okay? But if somebody's out of the will of God, 
you're really the one that God to say you're right and they're wrong. But I'm talking about as a whole, the authority is with the husband, right? But the influence is with the wife. So wives, you have to be very, very careful because you have the power of influence that when you speak into the ear of your husband that you are hearing from God. That you know it's based on the Word of God. That it's not based on your, you're going through an emotional time in your life. You're struggling in your life, right? Maybe, maybe there's some hormones. You know, hormones are something else in men and women. <laughs> they really are. They're really something in, in men and women, right? So, let's just say you're, you're going through a time in your life and there's something going on in you and you don't really know what's going on even in yourself. It may be a hormonal issue, right? And here you go. You're all emotional. You're feeling certain things. And then you go to your husband and you start talking to them and telling this, you know, how you feel and, you know, all this stuff. If you're not careful, your influence can sway the direction of that head. It can cause that headship. It can cause that authority to begin to make really bad decisions in relationship to your home because you are influencing the ear of the authority. So even in the home, you have to understand that there is a place where authority is and there's the influence. And the influence is not with the man. The influence is with the woman. Okay? Praise the Lord. So that's why you sisters need to be very careful that you walk with God. That you don't get all emotional. You know, come on somebody. I've just been, I'm preaching the Word of God to you. Okay? You know? And I know men can be emotional too. Right? But you sisters got to be extremely careful because, you know, of how you're made. I think most of the time you're more emotional than we are. I mean, are you? I don't know. I'm not a woman. I mean, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking you are. I'm married to one. And I have a daughter. Right? So you have to be careful as a woman because, again... Now, if you had the authority, if God gave you the authority, and you had a, who you are as a woman, right? Your emotions, everything that make you as a woman, and you had the authority, it'd be okay. Because you get to make the decisions, but you get to live with the consequence. Okay? But God didn't make it that way. God placed authority in your life a pastor in your church, or a husband in your house. And that authority, praise God, is placed there by God. And so you have to understand your role is a role of influence. Therefore, I'm not just going to bust in with my opinion, or I'm not going to hide when I should be supportive. So you, you can influence your husband by busting in and giving your opinions and giving your thought on something and cause him maybe to make the wrong decision. Or you can also withdraw yourself and go hide in the closet somewhere when he needs your support. I'm sure he's quiet in here. Amen? So I think the husband has a really hard job because ultimately the final decision resides with him. The final decision. As long as it's in the will of God, it doesn't violate the Word of God. So we don't cross that. We obey God rather than men. Okay. If your husband's wrong, you don't side with him. 
you side with the Word of God. Amen. But if it's a neutral thing and it's not, he's not violating the Word of God and he makes a decision, guess what? You, get, you can put your input in, yes. You can give your opinion, yes. But the final decision resides with him. And if it's a good decision, praise the Lord. It's going to benefit you. If it's a bad decision, he gets to pay the consequence. And then sometimes you do too as well, right? So, I mean, I don't want to be too overly long-winded here, but I want you to understand, ladies, that you have a lot of influence upon that man that you're married to. So you want to make sure that you have the mind of God and you're walking close with the Lord when you give your opinion on something, okay? Praise the Lord. I can tell you, my wife has, has been such a blessing to me at times in my life where maybe I was going through tremendous battles in my mind, in my life, you know, and, and uh, was thinking a certain way about a certain thing, and my wife would step in and she would talk to me. And she would influence my decision. And it ended up being a good influence. Uh, really, I'm going to be honest with you, probably nine times out of ten, my wife always does have a good influence on me. Amen? And she's wondering what the, what the one out of the ten is not. But Then that make her perfect. So I can't say she's perfect, right? Because I don't think there's anybody perfect. So I can't say ten out of ten. But I can say Sister Christina about nine out of ten times. When she comes and she's going to bring her opinion, a voice or an influence on something, normally she's right. So we spend a lot of time talking together about decisions that we're going to make. Okay, seriously, financial, whether it's financial, spiritual, church things, you name it, children, raising children, whatever, we really talk a lot together. And I respect my wife because I believe that she walks with God, that she's not going to compromise the areas of holiness. She's not going to compromise the Word of God or the things of God. And I respect her. So I listen to her. And I'm going to tell you, for the good brothers and sisters, she's influenced my life. And I thank God for that. So I don't want you to thank women that I'm putting you down when I say that. You have the power of influence. I'm telling you, though, that you've got to be careful. Because you can destroy or you can build with what you say. Okay, amen? So we have to be careful when, it, when you're dealing with authority. Make sure about what you're going to say before you say it. And pray it. Pray about it. Really think about it. Amen? Is this, is this helping anybody? Okay, I've got to move. Verse 7. For better is it that he said unto thee, Come up hither than unto thee, Come up hither now. Thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. So you can tell I'm a little bit, I'm trying to rush a little bit, but let me start over. Verse 7. For better it is that he, that it be said unto thee, come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. That means you get put to shame. Okay. Now what was it that got, got Lucifer cast out of heaven? His pride. He got out of his place. And because he got out of his place, he got cast out of heaven. We told you, he got cast out of heaven, right? And it was because of pride. So don't be put to shame. 
Uh, let somebody call you to the front. Let them put you in the position. You don't step in there and then say, hey, you know, it's like somebody going to sit in the cheap, cheap place of the congregation. Right? They say they just come up here and sit on the platform and they're not invited. So we got to say, turn around and say, hey, you need to go sit back down there, you know? Well, that would cause them some shame. But if we invite you, say, come up here, you sit on the platform, everything's good. So pretty self-explanatory, right? Pride, pride will cause you to fall. Amen. So stay in your place. Okay, verse 9. <clears throat> Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself and discover not a secret to another. So you got a problem with your neighbor, you deal with it yourself with them. Do not try to get somebody else involved. If unless now sometimes it's necessary. You understand? But if it's not necessary, why would you go and get somebody else involved in a dispute that you're having with somebody else? They have no business being involved with it. So the Bible is very clear that you deal with it yourself. You don't get somebody involved that's not necessary to get them involved. Hallelujah. Most of the time all they're trying to do is to, to get people, you know, on their side. That's all they're trying to do. They're trying to get numbers to back their decisions up and, and what they're doing, right? No. So the Bible's very clear. Don't do that. You deal with things on your own with a person you have a difficulty with, a problem with. You don't get anybody else involved if it's not necessary. So that's pretty clear, I think, as well, right? Amen? Verse 10. Lest he that heareth it put thee to shame, and thine infamy turn not away. That means you're going to lose your reputation. You'd be, you be put to shame. So when you're going to go in and you're going to involve with somebody in a, in a conflict, make sure you have all the facts before you do. Don't just bust in there. There's a problem. Just bust in there. And you don't have all the facts because it will cause you to be, have some shame. And if somebody corrects you, you thought you had it all figured out and all the facts, and then somebody that knew more than you did about the situation, and they have to correct you, it's going to make you feel really, really bad because you didn't take the time to get all the facts in the situation. With me here? Okay, say praise the Lord. Verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? Good advice. It's like apples of gold and what? Pictures of silver. Apples? Real apples? No, these are apricots. The Bible's talking, they don't have apples of gold in that culture over there. Well, they might have apples, but I like. they're talking about apricots. So anyway, so you see a picture of, of gold and all these real nice apricots in there. And he said, that's what good advice is like. Amen? As an earring of gold, an ornament of fine gold. Amen? And pictures of silver, apples of gold, pictures of silver, excuse me, verse 12. As an earring of gold and as an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. A person who wants to do what's right and wants to live right will always appreciate correction that somebody brings them. Because they want to do what's right. Okay, amen? They value it. Verse 13. As the cold snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him, for he refreshes the soul of his uh, masters. 
So these are people who are dependable. Responsible people or dependable people are people who refresh the souls of their masters. People that you can't depend on. People that are not responsible. Uh, they bring hardship. So these are true friends, really. Verse 14. Whoso boasts himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Some people talk about how gifted they are. Maybe somebody claims they can build a house or paint your house or, you know, is a good electrician and then they show up, they don't know anything. You know more than they do. Right? And then you hire them and it's a mess. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Somebody said, I'm the best mechanic there is. And you find out they don't even know what a crescent wrench is. Okay? So the whole point is this. There's a lot of people who boast about gifts that they don't have. And that means they won't produce. So whoso boasts itself of a false gift is like the clouds and wind without rain. Their promises are there. They're promising something, but they can't produce it. Like the cloud looks like it's going to rain, doesn't produce it. Yeah, there's people that are like that. Verse 15, by long forbearing is a prince persuaded and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. What is it talking about when it says the prince means an arbitrator? So if you sit down with somebody and there's an arbitration going on, decision has to be made. If you want to affect the arbitrator, the one that's the mediator between you and the other situation, okay, the other person, whatever, how are you supposed to handle that? Soft answer, that means stay calm and cool in the process. If you stay calm and cool in the process of negotiation or an arbitrator or whatever, let's say if you're in a conflict with, with a job, with your boss, or there's a conflict with somebody at your job, or whatever it is. How many of y'all have conflicts in life? And you have to have an arbitrator. You have to have somebody come in and make a decision for you or for somebody else or whatever. The Bible's telling you what to do. Stay calm and cool. Soft answer. And what happens that that will cause that person, that arbitrator, to show favor to you. Amen? Hallelujah. When you're coming in there, you're real loud and boastful and throwing stuff around, you know, and trying to tell the arbitrator. You're even trying to tell the arbitrator off. You're trying to tell the negotiator off. You're trying to tell the mediator off. It's not going to work too good. So you say calm, amen, and composed. Verse 16. Hast thou found honey, eat so much as sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit it. How many of y'all like honey? I like honey. Y'all like honey? Too much of a good thing though. Is what he's talking about. You get sick. So it's a spiritual principle. Balance is what is important. Even too much of a good thing can make you sick. Like honey. Amen? In excess. We have to be careful about excesses in our life. Verse 17, Withdraw thy foot from thy neighbor's house, lest he be weary, weary of thee, and so hate thee. Amen? Okay, look at your neighbor and say, Don't stay too long. Don't come too often. And for sure, don't come unexpected. 
Okay? And I live by this. And some of y'all say, well, I, I want you to come and stay a long time. And I want you to come often. And you can come anytime you want to. You don't even have to tell us we're coming. That's wonderful, right? But I don't believe you. <laughs> you're just good people. Because eventually you're going to get tired. If somebody shows up and stays a long time, eventually you're going to start looking at your watch, looking at the watch on the wall. And when are these people going to leave? Weren't they here just here yesterday? But you were here yesterday. Right? Or they just show up on their doorstep. Amen? And they don't just do it one time. They do it all the time. I tell you what you do. Next time that happens, show up, just open the door in your underwear. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, y'all. My point is that, we, you know, people don't know you're coming. They might not even have their clothes on. I mean, they should, but they might not. Right? I shouldn't. I, I don't need to say that. And I will tell you this for sure. Now, I, I've learned this, okay? I learned this from personal experience. Whatever you do, men, you tell that wife before they come, they're coming. You invite somebody over and she don't know they're coming, you've had it. Okay? It's just not a good thing to do. You let your wife know, hey, I invited the boss over and his wife to come eat dinner with us. Oh, really? Why didn't you tell me? You got a problem on your hands. Amen? Now, I know, that I know this from experience, and I know this without being told, but I, I pulled that the other day. You know? So I sold my truck, right? Sold my truck. Hate car payments. Sold my truck. Said, I'm not going to have a car payment. And so we're in the process. After I sold my truck, we were looking for vehicles. And uh, I was in a vehicle with a sales salesperson, and kind of liked the vehicle. I knew Sister Christina would kind of like the vehicle. So I told the salesperson, I said, hey, I said, can we go show this to my wife? See, and the salesperson said, sure. So we pulled up at my, the back part of my house, and my wife was over there. Man, she was pulling weeds and everything else in the backyard, working really hard like she always does, you know. And the dogs, the dog area was where she was working, right? Well, here I am. I'm just so happy to show her this car. And, but I knew better because I told the salesperson. I said, we're probably going to have a problem here, okay? And so the salesperson was female. She said, I'm going to sit in the car. I said, that's smart. It's really smart. You sit in the car. She said, sit in the car. Well, I opened the gate. Here comes Sister Christina. She had a, a hat on protecting her from the sun, you know, kind of kicked over. It was sweating, you know. I mean, you know what I'm saying. She was, she was fit to be tied. She was. She opened the gate. And not only that, the dogs ran out. So now we have to chase the dogs down, grab the dogs, throw them in the, back in the gate. I mean, it was really something, you know. But she, I'll be honest with you, she was so gracious. Even then, she was still gracious. But I kind of got the hint. I kind of got the hint because she said, next time let me know 
when you're coming? Say, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Needless to say, we didn't buy the car. <laughs> We'd already have bad memories. <laughs> so whatever you do, you let your wife know, or your husband, whatever, that you've invited somebody over. It's real important. Y'all believe that? Amen. I want to thank God that wasn't the vehicle. Finally found a vehicle, able to pay cash for it. It got a lot of miles on it, you know, but I was able to pay cash for it anyway. 2012 pickup. And what's cool about this is I was looking on the Carfax, because I always get a Carfax with what I'm going to buy, and I noticed on there it said that it was taken to a Ford dealership uh, on the Carfax, and it had the transmission checked. Okay, now watch this. Okay, this is a, this is a side note. I'll get back to the Bible in a minute. Okay. So we bought this truck, right? Uh, the F&I guy, the finance guy says, now, you know, I have a good friend. He's a general manager of a dealership. And so we're real close, real good friends. And the F&I guy said, so-and-so told me to get you to buy this powertrain warranty because he's worried about that transmission going out. Now, remember, the GM's a good friend of mine. And he's given me advice to buy this powertrain warranty. And uh, so I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, it's got 90,000 miles, so normally the powertrain probably is going to go out about, you know, maybe even before that. So I'm thinking, should I buy that powertrain warranty? And my good friend, you know, is telling me I should buy it, right? Because he's worried the transmission is going to go. And it's $1,600, okay? So I took the little little paper that they had, and I read on there to see what it would cover. Well, the seals, Brother Patrick, they, the seals weren't covered or anything. Well, I mean, the seals are normally what going to break down on those things. They're going to leak, right? So the seals weren't covered. So basically, you have to have a complete, total cat catastrophic breakdown. Of just just blow up the transmission or blow up the engine before that warranty is going to even come into effect. And $1,600. So I looked at him, and he kept pressing it and pressing it and pressing it. And I said, I'm not going to buy this warranty. And I could feel the tension. Okay? Because I couldn't buy the warranty. But I noticed something. Okay? So I looked at the Carfax, make a long story short, looked at the Carfax, and it said that the transmission had been checked at Rogers Ford in Midland, Texas. So my wheels start turning. And I'm going, okay, I'm going to call as soon as I can and find out if there's something wrong with that transmission. And if there's something wrong with that transmission, I'll go and buy the warranty. That's just good business. Okay, it's not being shady, just good business. So anyway, didn't buy the power, didn't, didn't buy the warranty, but I called in and guess what I found out? That 5,000 miles ago, they had put a brand new transmission in that truck for over $4,000. God always has my back. So I give God the glory. He always has my back. So I got a truck that's paid cash, got a brand new transmission in it. Hallelujah, I'm fit to go for at least another 50 miles. <laughs> Say praise the Lord. But anyway, getting back to this, this verse here, I should not have brought that salesman over when I did because I didn't tell my wife, okay? So, amen. Now, y'all don't do that, do y'all? Y'all just show up on people's doorstep and say, T -t -t -t. I mean, 
Family probably does that. You know, family does that. That's probably not even a good thing either. Look at your neighbor and say, don't stay too long. Don't come too often. And don't come unexpected. Okay? I told the church a long time ago when I taught the book of Proverbs, I said, if you come at my house and it gets, starts getting really late at night and you're still wanting to hang out, I'm just going to go put my pajamas on. I'm going to come sit down in front of you. And hope and pray that you get the, get the point. Hint, 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 hint. Thank God that's never happened. Amen for more than one reason. I mean, don't lift your hand, but if that ever happened to any of y'all, somebody came unexpected, or they came to stay too long, or they came too often. Yeah, you're thinking right now. I can see you thinking right now. Amen. I'm trying to bless you tonight. I'm trying to. So withdraw thy foot from thy neighbor's house, lest he be weary of thee, and so hate thee. Verse 18, a man that beareth false witness against his neighbor is a maul and a sword and a sharp arrow. You got somebody that's, that is uh, lying on you. The Bible says if somebody lies on you, what, what are they trying to do? They're trying to destroy your reputation. So the Bible says, talks about these weapons here. It talks about a maul and a sword. It's like when somebody tries to destroy your reputation, it's like weapons that's used against the body. But they're weapons that are used against your soul. That's the way God looks at it. Okay? Verse 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. You put your confidence on somebody, amen, they're not dependable, it's a broken tooth. How many of you have ever had a broken tooth? What's it saying? It's not useful. Useful. It's not useful. And then he says, a foot out of joint. So somebody that you can't depend upon is somebody that is just a, it's a painful thing. It's like walking on a, a broke foot. It's a painful thing and a broken tooth. It's useless. So be responsible. Be dependable. Verse 20. As he that taketh away a garment in cold weather and as vinegar upon the soda, so is he that singeth songs to a heavy heart. This teaches us to be sensitive and to consider to consider people who are going through times that they're in pain, they're in sorrow, that they're grieving. And, and we need to be considerate about that, you know. So, got somebody that's going through something, they're in sorrow, they're grieving. And here you are, you're trying to be, you know, sing happy songs and trying to make them happy. It's not time for that, you know. you gotta be got to be considerate about where people's hurt. They're hurting. And so weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. It's not time to rejoice with somebody when, when they're over there weeping and crying. Okay, you've got to be considerate about people. It's important, right? Amen? They're just good practical things. 
Verse 21, if thy enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward you. So on the opposite of vengeance. Don't seek revenge. Amen. Let God take care of vengeance. And heap coals of fire upon their head. That means if you do good to somebody that's trying to do bad to you, you heap coals of fire on their head, not literally. It means you're going to put shame on them. They're going to turn red because they're ashamed because of the way they're acting, the way they're treating you. Undeserved, okay? Hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. I believe the Word of God. Verse 23, The north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. Self-explanatory, right? Amen. Verse 24, it's better to dwell in the corner of a house stop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. <laughs> back to this one again. <laughs> We're back to this one again. Okay, and I'm just going to hit it real briefly and I'm going on. Because we've covered this a lot. Amen. You know what makes a happy home? Attitudes. Attitude makes a happy home. Not wealth. Wealth doesn't make her happy. Alright, you with me? I mean, it's nice to have nice things, right? It's nice to have money. It's nice to have things, whatever. But I promise you, according to the Word of God, a white house won't make her happy. Wealth won't make you happy. What makes for a happy house is the attitudes that are in that house. So you live in a corner somewhere. The corner corner of a housetop somewhere, not a big old mansion, corner of a housetop somewhere, but you're happy. If that wife is happy, you're happy. Y'all heard that, that statement? If she's happy, everybody's happy. If a woman's happy, everybody's happy. So the point is, you got a happy wife, you're going to be happy even if it's in a corner somewhere, the corner of a housetop. If she's not happy, she got a bad attitude, contentious woman, you can give her a mansion. It won't satisfy her. Okay, that won't make her happy. Okay, verse 25. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. You remember the Bible tells us that when Jesus was born, the angels announced his birth right a heavenly host announced his birth that was good news from a far country the word gospel literally means the good news so we declare the good news what's the gospel about it's about heaven it's about what's going on in heaven so as amen so as cold waters to a thirsty soul so is good news from a far country and the greatest news we have is the gospel Verse 26, a righteous man falling down before the wicked is a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. Now how is it that this person, a righteous man, is falling before the wicked? What does it mean? He's falling before the wicked. It means they're compromising. You compromise the things of God. You compromise the Word of God. You get in the presence of the wicked. If you compromise the things of God, that's what it means you're falling before the wicked. Okay? It's a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. It's corrupted. It's compromised. 
Verse 27, it is uh, not good to eat much honey. So for men to search their own glory is not glory. It's not real glory. If you're always promoting yourself, it's about self-aggrandizement and glorifying yourself. And You always talk about how great you are. Well, there's no glory in that. Right? So that's what the Bible's talking about right here. Okay? It's not real glory. Verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. If you've got a city that's broken down without walls, that means the enemy is going to come in. So it's important for us to keep, stay under control. Amen? Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. Temperance means self-control. Against such there is no law. God wants us to be a people that are uncontrolled. Say, so, well, I just got out of control. God doesn't want that. You have the Holy Ghost. If you have the Holy Ghost, you won't lose control. And He says, if, if we're that kind of person, we just lose control, we're not temperate, we're like a city without walls. Man, the enemy can come in. Now, what we have to realize, brothers and sisters, is that God is not the only one that's watching you, and angels are not the only ones that are watching you. There are demonic spirits that are watching us. And if we, if we lose control, what's going to happen? There's no protection. And you'll come under de demonic attack. Brothers and sisters, even Christians come under demonic attack. And if you want attacks from the enemy to come against you without a defense, lose control. And that's what they're looking for. They'll just come in and they'll invade because your walls are broken down. Amen? Say praise the Lord. All right. So we did good, didn't we? I got through that chapter faster, I think, than any chapter I've done in a long time. Okay, I want to show you this video. This is a testimony.